Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic Joined, as always, by Ann Thompson, our editor-at-large. And Ann, we've got a lot of really compelling stuff to discuss this week, starting with Oscar news carried over from many weeks ago when you, among other people, really got the conversation going about the anticipation of a major meeting uh, having to do with uh, whether there would be new regulations at the Academy pertaining to theatrical releases of films and how they qualify. On some level, this this was a reflection of the, the Netflix factor. And Steven Spielberg really emerged as this key character, somebody who really wanted to protect the theatrical experience and maybe pushing for new regulations that could actually be hurtful to Netflix in terms of how it gets movies into the conversation. But right before that meeting happened, the New York Times seem to jump ahead of the, of, of the conversation and, and repudiate your reporting on some level by saying Spielberg wasn't even in town. You're shooting West Side Story. He wasn't even there. So spin, damage control, whatever you want to call it, seems to have happened here. Uh, and then the meeting happened and nothing changed. But what do you have to say for yourself on this matter? I basically was doing some reporting around the time of the Oscars, especially on Oscar night. And that was when the narrative was repeated to me many, many times that Spielberg was an enormous Green Book uh, uh, supporter. In fact, he was uh, instrumental in getting that movie distributed by Universal and that he was um, very gung ho on on sending the message that a vote for Green Book was a vote for cinema and that he was very pro theaters, very pro having uh, these movies play at theaters and on Oscar night, as you may recall, um, I was searching for Spielberg. I literally yeah. was searching for him. I wanted Eventually to find he did him. surface at the participant party. Yes, my daughter was there yeah. and told me to come to that party. And I, you know, I didn't get there. So ba- I regret that. But basically um, the, uh, that was one narrative that, that I was tracking. And that night at that party uh, at the governor's ball, you know, the distributors were just um, tearing out their hair about Netflix. It was it was so palpable. And, uh, and by the way, this was not just you. I heard it. Everybody was hearing it. The reporting was everywhere. You were one of the people who was first to, to get the Spielberg aspect out. Absolutely. Of that. No, I was I was tracking something about. real. And then and then the um, I called up. Uh, well, then there was a story which nobody ever mentions, which I find interesting in uh, the Hollywood Reporter from Rebecca Keegan, who I respect a good deal, who um, basically had this four week exclusive thing. She's the one who broke that. 
and Not mentioned me. Spielberg. She as had that. One. She yep. had that piece of the puzzle that he was demanding that there was a possible rule change that he was going to. Now everyone was talking about the rule changes, but she was the one who specifically stated that that he might be wanting a four week uh, exclusive window. And my response to that in in is. Well, Netflix already did three weeks uh, ahead of the uh, availability on Netflix for Roma. They did three weeks in theaters and then they kept it in theaters for months. And I kept arguing that people were sort of denying the facts of what happened with Roma, which was that it played very a, lo- a very long time in a lot of theaters. Now, maybe they were four-walled. Maybe it cost Netflix a lot of money. Maybe they didn't report the numbers, but... Um, you know, that did happen and it didn't seem to have that much negative impact on the box office. And then our box office people did all the reporting on Tom Brueggemann did this extraordinary story about how much it would have made if it had been, you know, released in a, in a conventional theatrical way. And so these are the debates that are going on in the industry. Meanwhile, I write, I call up, I do my job and call up, uh, Marvin Levy of, uh, of the, you know, who admitted that he's the one who gave me the quote in the New York Times for ages, long time. And I have a very good relationship with Marvin Levy. It goes back decades. I I think as long, as far back as E.T. when, when he was, you know, working with Spielberg uh, at Universal and, and I love Marvin Levy. I mean, he's a great guy. He's somebody that I respect and admire and, and uh, you know, he knows that I have a great deal of affection for him. At any rate, he was, was kind enough to give me this quote, which the New York Times dis- Times describes as vague, which isn't um, inaccurate. It's what and he it's, said. It's what, it's what I, I wrote down what he said, which was basically that 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 there that they that Spielberg supports theaters, and there might be a, a, a if it comes up at the meeting. He is a board on the board of governors. If it comes up at the academy, he would be bound to support something but, but that would support the theaters. But here's the thing: it's 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 even more than just the way that they characterize that quote happens in tandem with an article that is so clearly being characterized by the Spielberg camp to push back. Not only in terms of the statement, but the the article acknowledges the Spielberg's philosophy about the theatrical and then tries to downplay the idea that he was going to come in and try to change things without explicitly denying that he was sort of part of this Green Book Whisper campaign. So basically, I agree with you that this article had a very specific purpose. The purpose, it was right, it was timed right ahead of the Academy meeting. Um, I don't know if the New York Times chased them or they chased the New York Times. I'm sure the New York Times wanted, you know, knew that this was a story to be tracked. What happened is that the Spielberg versus Netflix meme, you know, that I, that headline mm. was irresistible and it took over. I, I, I grant you that we created that headline. There's no question. That's what we did, but it, but it went, to. it worked for that first story. I, I was very thoughtful in the story about, about what he did say and did, you know, what he, it was not rabble rousing by well, any and, means. And but also, people took off with it. He, he could have, picked up the phone or done the I asked for clarification. I as know. soon as I saw and how it was being played, I saw immediately what had happened. And so and the, I our, asked for an interview with him. And, the, to and clarify. The, Times, the Times is like, oh, he's not, you know, an old fogey who's resistant to new models, but 
That's the what old, happened on Twitter. It's a whole Twitter thing. thing. The old fogey thing comes into play when you think about how this was reacted to. Because honestly, if he had done an interview to talk about this and be like, no, I'm not pushing for this or that or whatever it is. I just have this philosophy. And maybe some people have been characterizing that from things I've said in passing. That may have brought more nuance to it. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's anything disingenuous about the headline Spielberg versus Netflix because Spielberg is the ultimate symbol of a certain kind of, at this point, old world value system with respect to how movies are released into the world. It's not realistic about the changing nature of the market. And Netflix obviously epitomizes where the market is going. So I think those headlines are accurate. And then we go to CinemaCon and at CinemaCon, the theater owners cheer Spielberg when his name comes up and they have demonized Netflix and they have turned (laughs) Netflix into the enemy and Ted Sarandos into Darth Vader. That's what the theater owners have done. (laughs) And going to be on a t-shirt like Che Guevara or something. I know it's, it's, it's insane. And so, and, and then of course, Spielberg recognizing that this narrative has gotten way out of control goes and has a meal with Ted Sarandos and they sit down and talk. And now according to the New York times, he is critical, as, by the way, are a lot of the studios. The studios don't want this window. They don't want it at all, the exclusive window that the theater owners are hanging on to for dear life. And, and now he's saying that he, he thinks they're at fault for, for not being more flexible about the window. So, so now we've, uh, the, the theater owners can't hold up Spielberg as their, as their poster child anymore. They needed a new hero in that respect. But in any case, the meeting happened. Spielberg wasn't there. Nothing he didn't came. go. Right. That was part of what they were doing in the New York Times. They were saying, well, everybody's talking about Spielberg versus Netflix. He's not even going to show up at the meeting, which was news news to me. But anyway, what happened at the meeting is that they basically kept the status quo as far as that was concerned, which, by the way, I predicted they would, because if you look at the people who are on the board of governors, many of them have relationships with Netflix and are supportive of the independents and so forth. And also negatively. Exactly. If you think about the backlash that happened last year to various kinds of changes, like booting certain categories to the commercial break that were deemed as marginal. And then all these voices come out in support of them. Think about what would have happened if you, you potentially would create rules that would make it harder for smaller documentaries and foreign language films to get the kind of Oscar push that they they really need for commercial reasons and so on and so forth. So obviously this needed to happen. And then speaking of which, another interesting change was that, or perhaps the most significant change was changing the name of the foreign language category. It's now I, I support that a lot. I, I, I instead of I mean, one of the things that came up a couple times during uh, the, the the award season with Alfonso Cuarón was his observation that you know when he was a a student in Mexico watching um, movies in Mexico in Spanish, they were not considered foreign language by him. You know, so so the 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 idea of quote unquote foreign. Um, it may have, may, maybe we, you know, they decided to go a little bit more uh, woke with, I mean, with uh, uh, international. Uh, from the perspective of somebody who grew up in a, in a somewhat bilingual household, I do think that this perspective is very important. And Quaron was drawing attention to the fact that, you know, we live in a global, you know, cl- culture for storytelling. And as, you know, foreign language films or films from other countries and filmmakers from other countries are 
being more a part of the conversation, it does make sense to do whatever is possible to push beyond this idea that they're just celebrating American cinema. And the the thing that I know the Academy would like to see is that these so-called international films are also being celebrated in different kinds of categories. One thing I'm curious about is you call it international film. Are you going to open it up in terms of the languages too? Because, you know, why? As long as it's not English, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be international. And as long as it's not produced in America. But remember when the band's visit did not qualify for foreign language. It's a question of percentage. But that, that is a question. So now that we've gotten foreign language. The old rules still apply. But that's, that's something that I think is sort of is, is notable in this situation. Okay, so it's, we haven't really changed anything except the optics. That's but the correct. the rules haven't changed. So, so, we, so the band's visit, really interesting example, right? That was a movie where the reason why you had Palestinians and Israelis speaking in English was because it was the one language they shared, which is very specific. I remember being shared. upset by that so, at the time. I, and I agree with you. And, and the other one that's interesting, we talked about this. What was the movie that was in Yiddish? That was an American-produced uh, movie. Yeah, Menasha. Was a, and a it wasn't English. eligible because it, it was an American-produced movie. But, uh, but it, 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 you know, is it an international film? No. no. But So these things are always, you know, and why can't we celebrate great films So it's Australia? not about foreign language. It's really about international cinema that's not in English. Right, but again, I mean, to, to what, what was it that Alfonso Cuaron was saying? I grew up on foreign language films like Jaws. So... This has not really changed anything about the 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 central critique. Well, what would you change? I I would say that if it is a a film that takes place in another country and was not produced with American money, then it should qualify for the category, no matter what language. Well, again, there's a certain amount of nuance necessary that's then why you, you have, have british films list. being being uh, international films yeah and and that's why most I think of the films in for the oscar most of the time are many good exactly. are british well that's that we are reckoning with the fundamental limitations of how we understand I think, ourselves i think yeah. that's part of it but yeah. also i mean think about the short list the different kinds of gatekeepers involved we can assess these things on a case-by-case basis you don't just have to be held hot it's not the constitution you don't have to be held hostage to very specific rules, but I do think that opening up. I think you you to, do. Uh, I I don't think what you're suggesting is a good idea, but but all in good I just time. I want to see. I want to see more films acknowledged that often don't get acknowledged for various reasons that are kind of dumb. And and I don't think that changing the name of the category is necessarily going to do much, except make people feel good about themselves for thirty seconds. Yeah, and then we yeah, still yeah. Have problems. but it, 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 I'm not going to uh, complain about about that. I'm also here's what I here's the direction that I approve of in terms of what the Academy is doing. They're trying to make it easier for more people to vote for things, and they're trying to make you know they they responded to a push for more um, hair and makeup uh, slots instead of just three. There will be five. Which is long overdue, and and they've also made it so that uh, on the foreign language side, there's one more slot for the short list. So there'll be seven voted on by the first committee and three added by the second committee. That's good. good. And then and then they have um, you know it making easy making it easier to vote for animated films and shorts and stuff. So it's it's all it's all in the direction of and and the one thing that I reported that I haven't heard an answer on is this whole question of whether they may very well announce this later because it's so dicey, um, whether they're going to charge people to make their films available online. 
and I, when I say people, I mean studios, big pocketed studios, because it's going to cost money to develop this thing. Right. So that's and, one of the uh, things that's up there. It's, it's, so far, international docs and animated are, are all accessible online to right. Academy voters. So, and so they want to open it up to best picture does for that a price. Become, right. Does that make it cost prohibitive to be a best picture? Yeah, prohibitive? apparently. I mean, especially it has been. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it has. It's been costly to campaign for best picture, but the idea of having to pay extra for that particular feature—they would do anything usually to in order to um, you know get an edge. I mean, I think what they're trying to do, which every you know all the publicity campaigners and and everyone would welcome, is is eventually is get rid of DVDs, which are hugely expensive, especially yeah. as all the different memberships in the guilds and set like SAG is like 120,000 members, you know, these, these costs really do add up. And who really needs a big box of DVDs when you can just stream it? Honestly, it's so wasteful. Most Especially of us, Netflix is still sending yeah, out DVDs. And this is all about the older, the quote unquote, older members who, who are still technologically challenged, supposedly. So speaking of smaller movies that really need more attention, Avengers Endgame is open, <laughs> which of course we have to acknowledge, although I guess we have to be careful about spoilers because through the weekend, people are going to be paranoid about figuring out all these things. Honestly, it's not like a spoiler will change your experience of this movie. I think the best things about it are not so much the spoilery things as they are kind of structurally what the film is like i thought we're gonna do a spoiler free thing though right yeah, here's what i will say i thought it was pretty good i do think it's the 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 histrionic reactions are, are a little too much sort of fr coming from this sense of of investment in in the franchise and not looking at the movie itself which to me has a really stellar unexpected first hour from a tonal perspective and then the rest of it just felt like okay kind of busy and then a really messy battle thing so i don't know well you seem sort of confused by it right confused well in terms of plot and the many moving why parts. do you think i was confused i i seem to recall weren't, weren't you saying that there, there were just like a lot of different kind of details from the the mcu that here's were what i said dead. i said that unless you are a really really um a fan you know and i would i would go farther than fan, fan. Uh, there's 22 movies this a is fan. the 22nd movie <laughs> yeah you need to be an aficionado have you in seen order all of them yet i've seen every single one and Me i've too. enjoyed them all except for one the one i have not seen is the second ant-man movie ant-man and the wasp because i happen to not care for ant-man oh so there is actually i won't spoil anything but there is actually something there's something in there which I, where i went hmm right. i don't know what that means How is it, and, but it's an important thing yeah. that happens. So, so what happens is that all you if you haven't seen all 22 movies there's going to be because of because of the way that this thing works on a time loop and goes back into all these other movies and that's okay, the other that's thing. almost a spoiler so how well careful. do you remember <laughs> How well do you know? Everybody knows that already. How how well do you remember all of those movies, and how well do you remember the? Well, plot that's the thing. Film? I think and, there's and especially the superhero properties. There's a moment where Elizabeth Olsen's character shows up. 
um, and I'm, there are time travel things going on here. So I'm not saying which time uh, scheme she yeah, shows up That's already but, but there's a whole question. There's a whole question of of you know what is her what is her skill? And I'm going oh yeah she throws fire. You know it's like it's like I'm not one of those people who remembers all that stuff. And yeah, I, here's I, what I, I will say: there is a person who shows up in this movie right away at the beginning, who is Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel, and we all know she's in this movie. And she doesn't really belong in this movie. It doesn't feel organic well, or appropriate to be at fair, all. To be fair, Captain Marvel is not one of the main characters. She's around a lot. But they, they're the, suggesting that the she's movie, joining the well, Avengers in let, some let's, way. Let's look at this specifically in terms of what the movie actually is, which is literally the culmination of all of these movies and it is an attempt i think that is completely unprecedented in franchise filmmaking I mean, you even with the star wars movies you didn't see them stuff in every single possible character they built up in previous movies they're, they're trying to acknowledge everything they've created in a way that from a fan standpoint is probably very satisfying if you've grown up with the series or if you're so invested in the series that you either have favorite characters or you want to kind of relive all of that. And so on some level, so here's where I would say you're, you're right. And, and your, your, uh, your, your review, I agree with, which is basically if you don't, uh, if you don't understand or care uh, or, 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 you need to have knowledge in order to see this movie and get anything out of it. Right. And you so, can't go in and expect it to stand alone. So assuming you have knowledge, I still would, would say that what they've done, because it had such a stellar cliffhanger, I thought, in the last movie, you know, really something that... Hard to top. Building off of what comic books can do, where you have the, the, all these characters come together in a huge event that kind of throws their entire existence into upheaval and allows them to, to have new beginnings and so on and so forth. This is something comics have done for generations. Because they had that, the way they deal with the fallout from a narrative standpoint, I thought was remarkable. And then it's business as usual, and it's just not as exciting to me. What the Marvel movies have always done well, and we have to give credit to Kevin Feige for, for pulling off this extraordinary feat, finding the right directors to do it. The Russos did a really good job. The point is that these characters, they know the characters, and they give you these character moments throughout and they focus mostly on the on the six original avengers who are the ones that are you know the finale represented by this movie is is really about what happens where do they go do they survive and you know which ones are going to move on in, in in the end and and that's what you find out and that's what this movie tells you along with a lot of other things right so well, also it's like corporate easter eggs like which stories are going to be played up more right next and you one get, of the like, highlights of this by the way is definitely slacker thor <laughs> oh my god that, i mean if we're talking about like oscar stuff somebody should make the case for that before, I mean, he's been. He is a very public. good actor. I've yes. always known this. I don't he's know if very it's a, funny. It, this has got to get out of marketing stuff. That he's like he. Ba- there's a reference to him as as Lebowski. I mean, he is kind of that's like basically what he's dude. playing. Yeah, it's like, and it's but it's he's so depressed. Funny. 
He's yeah, drinking he's, down his sorrows. He's like drinking. He's like a he's like drinking a gamer <laughs> and like hanging out with his bros and, and like yelling at people on the internet like a troll. By t- yeah, well, we won't get. All right. So that is that. And then there's various ways that the time travel yield all sorts of lovely uh, gems and and possibilities, uh, you know, um, for Chris Evans as as Captain America and so on. But but it's really no, it's there's a lot of great fun stuff. And I'm with you. The battle is probably my least uh, favorite thing. Um, and, and we get back into Thanos and we get back into, into the, uh, the sisters, um, you know, the, the crazy sisters of the daughters of Thanos and, and there's all sorts of fun stuff, but visual effects wise, the most extraordinary thing, uh, according to the head of ILM and, and who I talked to at the after party of the premiere, which was an amazing event, um, is, is Hulk. Hulk is a new wrinkle in terms of visual effects and animation well, and, and that, mocap. That has to be really gratifying too, because of the that's been the most notorious challenge for Marvel. I mean, going back to Ang Lee's Hulk, which didn't totally, work. which didn't then, make it, and then they had Ed Norton who didn't want to keep making these things, so it's like they had to introduce Mark Ruffalo in the that's midst right. of the Avengers. I think the Avengers remains the most interesting of these movies. The first one. Because it was the the it was such a tricky gamble in terms what they pulled off in this movie is the third phase and they've built to Avengers movies three times now kind of four if you count Captain America Civil War which has a lot of them in it but the Avengers itself the idea of of having several movies on individual characters build up to one was so gratifying and I think Joss Whedon had a more sort of economical approach to it even though the ending was still another silly battle. It was it was faster and funnier. That was a great battle. That, I wouldn't say that was a. Silly uh, it's battle. not my jam. That battle is still one of the memorable battles, and not one of the ones where you just your eyes glaze over. It's actually set the template for a lot of these movies, always ending on a battle. <laughs> it's it's a it's a look at Wonder Woman. Even you know they all do it now. It's it's you can count on it. Somewhat uh, notably. For uh, the other thing that we're going to close out talking about this week, um, the Avengers actually had a film festival premiere. It was a closing night entry at the Tribeca Film Festival, which was hilarious because a lot of people were like, why is a superhero movie closing out this film festival? But it actually, in retrospect, it was kind of appropriate. It was in New York, very New York. And it was a nice sort of celebration of filmmaking ambition on that kind of scale. So. I have to say that the premiere, which was Monday night, and it was the first public screening um, of the movie, it was it was really moving, actually, to see all of the Avengers go up at the front of the stage and each of them give their little testimonial to 10 years of of what they did uh, with, with this, with this whole franchise, which is now over the, the, at least the Avengers part of it is. Yeah. I mean, they, they'll be fine. If any of those people want to go back and play those characters again, I'm sure they can. I mean, let's be honest. Well, here. some of them are clearly being aligned with other stories. I'm just saying, just saying. I think you're already going to get backlash for mentioning time travel. So we'll see how oh, that please. goes. <laughs> Anyone who reads any reviews that are already online mentioned time travel well let me let me switch gears here to talk about this year's tribeca film festival wait 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 i just wanted to say that the the the, one of the things that was 
fun at the party. Ryan Coogler is the one who loved uh, the the uh, slacker Thor. And so he's working, of course, on uh, Black Panther 2, although he doesn't want to talk about it. And um, John Favreau is at the party. He's working on Lion King and the, the Maladorian thing, the series that's going to be on Disney+. And so the whole, there were Fox executives there being introduced to Disney executives. There, there was such an interesting moment in time. People were talking about the writer strike and all of that stuff that's going on and wondering, you know, which movies are going to go to Disney plus and the R rated movies are not, they're going to go to Hulu and, you know, just all the, you know, Alan Horn, the head of the, the head of Disney is, you know, the one who's charged with putting all this stuff together in terms of figuring out what stays and what goes, what projects are going to survive from Fox and all this stuff. And so there's just a lot going on and, and, you know, this is the the bigger is better uh, idea of Hollywood somehow writ large. And it, this movie could open as 800 million, 900 million, a billion. Is that possible? Um, because it's taking over every theater, every screen, playing 24-7 for four days in some theaters. It's going to be enormous. And guess what? All those other movies that are struggling for a handhold, they're going to be pushed aside. And this is yet again another example of how maybe, and there's another story written by Tom Brueggemann on this, um, how maybe bigger is not always better. Well, so let's, let's not give it any more time than it needs in that respect. Because, I mean, this movie, already people are, are trying to avoid things about it. And the, and, the, and the truth is, yes, there's so much more that you can see. And, and it, it almost feels, you know, crass in a way to be paying so much attention to it. Because on a certain level, this movie doesn't need the rest of the world, the media or whatever, to be so obsessed with it. It's, it's, it kind of takes care of everything by itself. And there's so much more that's out there. The point is, to, yeah, that that's correct. The point, the reason why I'm bringing this up is that we need to all work harder to right. support the stuff that doesn't uh, get to exist on this scale. So because it's all that much more difficult for them to survive. So let's get, get back to, to, to a scale that does need attention. The Tribeca Film Festival started last night. I'm not going to hold it up on, on a pedestal and say, you know, this is, the high bar for, you know, where we need to be focusing our attention because we're all salivating over can. But Tribeca is, is happening now, and there are plenty of movies that I've seen already that worth checking out. Well, you went to the opening night, which I would have loved to have gone to. In other words, Roger Ross Williams' new documentary, The Apollo, debuted at The Apollo. Yeah. So you wrote a review of that today. It's, um, it's pretty good. It's, uh, you know, a very straightforward HBO historical overview of the Apollo and, and how it's been this real beacon for black culture over generations and really not only epitomized the identity of Harlem, but the specific challenges that black culture has faced in terms of finding its platform and providing that platform in New York City throughout all these different eras of segregation when uh, it didn't have it elsewhere was so crucial to so many different kinds of artists from musicians to comedians and so on and so forth. So it's a really strong survey in that respect. I wouldn't say that it is a, you know, a, a harsh look at the challenges the institution has faced. It, it kind of speeds through the bankruptcy when it closed down, you know, what the future looks like, but he's, he's not Frederick Wiseman and he's not 
trying to do that kind of deep dive. I think that it's a good celebration of um, of why the Apollo matters. And, and it was cool to watch it at the Apollo because you're seeing people perform on that stage and hearing people talk about how important this or that performance was, whether it was, you know, Chris Rock or uh, Billie Holiday or whatever. And uh, you're looking at the stage. So you feel it in the room. The last time I saw a movie at the Apollo was If Beale Street Could Talk. And that was a similarly very powerful experience watching a Harlem set story there. And I was talking, you know, HBO doesn't know quite what they're doing with this doc yet. It's probably going to come out sometime later this year, broadcast some sort of theatrical. But I was saying, you play this thing for a week at the Apollo for your one week qualifying run, you're going to sell out. So I hope that they figure out a way to push it out there appropriately because there, there is. I'm sure they audience. will. I'm sure this is part of a, an overall strategy along those lines. And he's a governor. He's he's actually uh, uh, in the academy and he knows and the game. Very influential. So I don't think they're going to miss that trick. I and so Tribeca, it's always he's actually won an Oscar. Roger Ross won he has, for a short. And, yeah. Jane, Jane Rosenthal, who the, the co-founder of Tribeca, who introduced him, said Oscar nominated because of his film life animated people tend but he to actually won he short. won for a short yeah. film music by prudence that actually does get glossed over i've noticed with him more than it should be um but there's other movies at tribeca worth noting very quickly i would like to sing a lot of film called burning cane which is from a 19 year old director from new orleans it's his first feature and he's like still in film school but it's got Wendell Pierce in it, and it's this really beautiful look at life in the South. Ben Zeitlin produced it, and I feel like this will, will probably end up being the big breakout story of the festival. And that's what a festival like Tribeca can actually do, is find a film like that that might get buried somewhere else and make it the film of the festival. So I think that's going to be one that, that people will really talk about. And next week, we'll have a chance to talk about the closing film, uh, which is called Yesterday, and that's from Danny Boyle. So there's some, some really interesting things on, on tap in that respect. And, of course, a bevy of other documentaries, which, which tend to... Yeah, they're strong. Them. They're strong on documentaries at, at Tribeca. Just because there's so many good ones, they can't all go to Sundance, basically. Exactly. So in other news, we still have no updates from Cannes, but it is an open question whether or not Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will make the cut or not. I mean, I'm All right, sure they so here's won't. what I found out. Um, basically, he is a perfectionist and Tarantino. the people, yes, and you were speculating that there was some, and I was too, that there was some uh, trepidation on the part of Sony. They're pretty gung-ho. They're prepared to go. And, and Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio was prepared to go. Everybody was prepared to go. And can is prepared to have them and can has has you know is has a slot ready and waiting it's up to tarantino whether he actually feels that he's finished his movie and nobody knows yet how that's going to play out yeah i challenged Thierry from at can about this on the phone last week i said come on like how often have you guys program movies that aren't done i saw gaspar noe's enter the void there and it didn't even have any credits on it in the front or the back of the movie and he was like, no, I'm really being honest about this. He's really, really not done. It's supposed to open in like two months. And at this point, he doesn't have a film ready for that date. So it'll be interesting to see because I do feel like in Can Will, this is a perfect example of how Can programs in competition in that he's got that competition slot if he's ready for it. 
And or not, he can take it out of competition and have it be a work in progress, which is what I always expected. I bet he wants it in competition. He's a competitive guy and he wants to, he wants to be on that pedestal, but it has to get to that point. And can could use that. That's a big starry movie. Oh, they need it desperately. They need it. So it's a real open question. And it's, it is notable that Ken has not announced anything in the week since the first initial slate. So we don't know what's coming, but when I spoke to Thierry last week, he said he had 25 more movies to watch. It's not just him, but there's plenty of stuff they could stuff in there, and we know they're going to add something, but they're obviously waiting for various different things to come together. So hopefully next week we'll have a chance to dig into that a little bit more, and I'm happy to tell you a little bit more about Tribeca movies, and who knows what else will come up. But uh, enjoy your weekend, and it's, it's nice to be in a, a sort of a transitional moment in between these, these big events of the year. You too. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.